Verse 22. This is God's holy word. He gives it to us, his people, for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading. Luke 12, verse 22, God's holy word. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. I'm focusing mainly tonight on verse 37. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Well, obviously, with the turning of the new year, all kinds of uh, rituals that we, we go through, evaluating our life, what are some things that we accomplished, what are some things that we would perhaps like to accomplish or like to see in the coming year. And particularly, a, Christ, a Christian approach to the new year, I believe, is Refreshing ourselves in evaluating it in light of God, in light of our lives, of ultimate questions. We know the ultimate purpose for our living, the glory of God, and serving Him, and, 
enjoying him and glorifying him allows us to, it gives us an opportunity to ask, are we doing those things? And are we using the time that we have rightly? It also creates in us a heart of, of worship, worshipfulness, because the more that we change, the more God remains the same. And that ought to hit us, in a sense, like a ton of bricks at the new year. We think of how many years we've gone through and how different we are than 10, 20, perhaps 30, 40, 50 years ago. And 50 years ago, God was still exactly the same. And there have been many powerful people that have lived in this world. Caesars who portrayed themselves as gods, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, all kinds of kingdoms have risen and fallen, all kinds of powerful men and world leaders have come and gone, yet God remains the same. And it is because of that that our lives ought to be shaped in light of who he is, in light of what he tells us. And one of the things that we're commanded to do is to be watchful uh, unto the return of our Lord our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells his servants to watch. Now, it was a customary back in Greco-Roman times in the Mediterranean world that oftentimes when a master of the house was gone and he was expected back, there would be a servant who would stand watch and there would be someone there all the watches of the night. So they would have to take shifts, obviously, but there would be someone waiting to welcome the master of the house home. Is there was something fitting about that, that our master should not come home and no one is there to greet him, no one is there to welcome him. This is his house, so he ought to be welcomed rightly. And we see that come around in the life of Jesus, don't we? The watchfulness, you think of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus tells his disciples to stand watch. Other times throughout the Gospels, where they are told to stand watch. And what happens in most of those cases? They become drowsy and they fall asleep. There's a spiritual lesson in there that Jesus does not waste, that he reminds them it's important to be alert, to be watchful. And that very thing is prescribed for us. So as the years pass, as days go by and weeks turn into months, We are called to be watchful, to be diligent to make sure that we remain watchful. Watchful unto our Lord and his return. And what that means, of course, is not that we stay outside waiting for him to return. You can be thankful about that on a night like tonight. That's not what we're called to do, to, to sit there and to look up into the sky waiting for Jesus to return. Spiritual watchfulness is more about a, a moral and ethical and a virtuous approach to the Christian life. In other words, are the things in your life, what you do, what you're seeking, what you think about, what you prioritize, does it all reflect the reality of what God has proclaimed in his word? Is your life shaped by him and, and uh, the reality of his existence and what he commands of us in his word? Is it shaped by the gospel of grace? Do you live your life with a fervent commitment to the message of salvation, that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, being diligent to watch and to guard our faith and our confession? Do you guard your life and shape your life according to the high calling he has placed upon each of us? And on and on we might go. 
So the first thing to think about tonight is what it means to be watchful. What it means to be watchful. Like I said, it doesn't mean that you go outside and we have somebody stand watch and we take shifts and we wait for Jesus to come back. Sometimes you read the, uh, the epistles of the New Testament and you, you almost think that's what they were doing. They were so eager to see the return of Christ that they thought it was going to happen every single day. And now, of course, 2,000 years down the line, the mentality has changed quite a bit. We need to remind ourselves, like the Lord says in Psalm 90, a thousand years are just like yesterday to me. It's that, that, that's all it is to God. A thousand years is like yesterday. And he is waiting for the fullness of his chosen people to come in, uh, to know Christ through the message of salvation. But nevertheless, eternity is just as near to us as it was for the early church. And we ought to be reminded that, yes, even though many, many days have gone by without the return of Jesus Christ, nevertheless, we don't know when our life is going to end. We don't know when God is going to call us, and the new year is indeed uh, an opportunity to reflect on that. We don't know the time that we have. So when we looked at this passage walking through the Gospel of Luke, probably about a year and a half ago or so, we looked at this passage, and I gave you uh, three basic instructions for Jesus' command to be watchful, or his pronouncement of blessing upon those who are watchful. What it means to be watchful, I suggested, were three things. That we need to think like Jesus is coming tomorrow. We need to live like he is coming today. And we need to act like he is coming now. And that really gives shape to what it means to be watchful. What it means to think like he is coming tomorrow is essentially to heed the words of Jesus when it comes to worrying. Luke chapter 12, what does he say? Look at all of, the things, all of the things around you. Remind yourself that God is in control, that I am in control, and that I provide for all of the things that you see. The lilies of the field and the ravens that cry. And then remember how much value you have in the face of all of these things because you are my child. And remind yourself that I'm in control of your life, that I have it all laid out. I know exactly how long it's going to be. I know the exact second when I'm going to call you home and then remind yourself that I will provide for you until that moment. I may not provide for you in the way that you think I should, in the way that you prefer, in the way that you planned, but nevertheless, I will provide. That is God's promise to his people. And when we think like he is coming tomorrow, what happens is that all of a sudden, the worries of tomorrow can fade away. Tomorrow doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. And if he should grant it, then we will accept it from his hand, that he has ordained yet another day that we would live to serve him and to glorify him. But we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed even the next breath. But especially tomorrow, it belongs to the Lord. And so when he calls us to live yet another day, then we set about to living in the way that he calls us. Now, of course, we always remind ourselves when we talk this way that this doesn't mean we do not plan for the future. This does not mean that we don't exercise wisdom when it comes to things like planning finances and thinking about providing for our children or the next generations. These are all great and wonderful things that we do. Nevertheless, we ought to always remind ourselves that 
All time is in God's hands. And the days that he gives us, we are not to assume that he will. And we ought to think like he is coming tomorrow because tomorrow belongs to God. So when we do that, the worries of tomorrow fade away. And we heed the the words of Jesus in Luke 12. We are to live like he's coming today. Live like he's coming today. When we live like he is coming today, we allow our lives to be shaped by the conviction that we are to give our lives back to God in joy-filled worship. That we're called to bring ourselves to the altar by the grace of God. To offer ourselves not as a sin offering, but as a thank offering. To be a pleasing aroma unto our God who has redeemed us by Christ. We live like he is coming today and we allow the things in our life to be prioritized in light of the fact that salvation has come to us in Christ. We make the bigger decisions of our lives, what we do, where we live, with whom we associate, how we spend our time and resources to be made on this bigger conviction that all things are to redound to the glory of God in our lives. Do you shape your life so that the things that you do, you believe, are most honoring to God, so that the things you you do are most glorifying to God. In other words, use the time God has given you today, right now, for that which is most important, the glory of God. Make your life count. If you want to make your life count, you'll spend it in service to him. You will spend it seeking the glory of Christ. One life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. So we think like he's coming tomorrow and worry fades away, the sinful kind of worry. We live like he's coming today and our lives are shaped by uh, the, the, the goal of the glory of God. And then we act like he is coming now, which gets us down to the nitty gritty of life. We say that we would never do anything that we would not want to be doing at the moment that Jesus returns. Now, this kind of thing sounds a little bit intense. If you you think about what are the things I would want to be doing when Jesus Christ returns, if I could choose. And most of us will say, well, I I would want to be praying. I would want to be steeped in the deepest, most meaningful moment of prayer in my life so that I could feel confident that Jesus has returned. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that we we sort of go off and and start living some kind of monk existence, right? To go and live on a monastery. That's not what this means. Jonathan Edwards thought a lot about using the time that was given to him to serve God. And he had all these resolutions. And this is one of the resolutions he had. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trumpet. Resolved never to do anything that I would be afraid to do if it were to be under an hour before I should hear the last trumpet. So again, this is not that all we can do is pray or all we can do is read the scriptures, though both of those are some of the best things we could ever do. We know that God has created this world so that would be, we would be involved in it, serving him in it and glorifying him in it. A people marked out in the service of God, serving their king, nevertheless involved in the things of this world. He created the fields that we would tend them. 
He created industry that we would develop it. He created goods and services that the human race might be cared for. Martin Luther was famously asked what he would do if he knew that Jesus would was returning tomorrow, and he said he would plant a tree today. And that doesn't, he didn't say that because he believed that the tree necessarily would endure to the next life. He said there are all kinds of things that we forget that God has blessed. And whatever God has said is good is uh, perfectly fine to engage in no matter what the time is. And so he talked about the honor of the milkmaid, right? the milkmaid next to the priest. And of course, in medieval times, there was this conception that uh, the, the priest is the one really serving God and everyone else really wasn't. And Luther's great cry of the Reformation is that, one of the great cries of the Reformation is that you can serve God in what you are doing. Colossians 3, whatever you do in word of deed, do all uh, unto the Lord in thankfulness to him. So it's not a command to live as a monk in a prayer closet. Rather, this is a call to serve the Lord in all areas of your life. First, we do that by faith. Whatever you do, if you are a plumber, if you work in any kind of trade, any kind of service, no matter what you do, you live by faith, trusting that it is by Christ that you are saved. By Christ you are reconciled to God. Not only that, not only is it that we live by faith, but we say God has placed you where you are so that you might be a, an aroma unto him with whomever you meet, whoever, brings into, whoever he brings into your life, that your life would seem different to them. And our catechism and all kinds of places in scripture back that up, that our neighbors might be one to Christ by our virtuous Living, living by faith and living in service. So what it means to be watchful is we think like he is coming tomorrow, uh, we live like he's coming today, and we act like he is coming now. Take courage and fearlessly serve Christ. Secondly, why should we be watchful? Why should we fill our lives with a a watchfulness uh, waiting for the return of our Lord? And shaping our lives with this mentality, this frame of mind that we will die or the Lord will return. One of those two things is going to happen and we will meet our Savior face to face. So why should we be watchful? Well, because of who we are, that we are able to sin, we are able to fall into sin. We should be, be aware that we are in danger. There's a danger there that we can involve ourselves in all kinds of destructive sinfulness in this life and in this world. Spiritual drowsiness will result in a failure to fight temptation. Do you ever fall into temptation or fall into sin and you realize that you could basically chalk it up to the fact that you haven't had any kind of mindfulness unto your soul? That you just didn't, you weren't thinking about it, you weren't praying, you weren't worshiping God with any kind of rightness of heart. You fall into a pattern of sin and you know that's what it was. That's spiritual drowsiness that results in a failure to fight temptation and a failure to remember the high calling that God has placed upon you. Proverbs 4, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. 
Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. I love the the variance of the verbs there. Do not enter. Do not walk. Avoid. Do not go. Turn away. Pass on. There's some intentionality there in Proverbs chapter 4, isn't there? All of those things that we are to be mindful of. To avoid evil, to avoid sin, to not walk in the way of sinners and scoffers. As I mentioned before, Jesus spoke often and challenged his disciples often to stay awake while he would go off and pray. We think famously of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He uses it as an opportunity to teach them about spiritual truths. And don't you think that was ringing in the mind of Peter when he tells his people to always be sober-minded, always be watchful? That's exactly uh, what's going on there. So we're in danger of falling into sin, so we need to be watchful. This world is not our ultimate home, so we need to be watchful. In this world, there are evil powers. The enemy himself trying to veer us off the path. Because of that, we need to be watchful. First Peter chapter 5, be sober-minded, Peter says. Your adversary, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Know that there are forces arrayed against you wanting to pull you into sinfulness. I went back and read uh, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis this past year and just found it to be marvelously encouraging and, and challenging to think about in many ways. Of course, it's not scripture, and uh, C.S. Lewis was a fallible man. I just found so much wisdom there in engaging the practices and the rhythms of the soul. This world is not our home. That's why we need to be watchful. Third, uh, we need to be watchful because life in Christ is likened to a race and a war. Two people, two kinds of people who need a, a huge amount of alertness and watchfulness. Soldiers and people running a race. Soldiers need to be alert. Those running a race need to be, have a singularity of focus. Every single step counts. If you fall off your pace, if you stumble a little bit, the race might be lost. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Philippians chapter 3 helps us think about this a little bit. We recently went through Philippians chapter 3. Paul uh, paints the picture of running a race so that he may uh, attain to the goal of meeting Christ face to face. He reminds us in that chapter that in the race that he runs, he's already held in the grip of his Savior. He's running that race by grace. It's a grace-empowered running. Nevertheless, he knows that God has called him to live this life in a certain way, to be diligent in seeking him. 
And that's, that's the mentality that we are to have. The race that we, we run, we run by grace. Nevertheless, uh, we are to run so as to win the prize, even though Jesus Christ has already won it for us. And he grants it to us by grace. Soldiers, not only runners, but soldiers. Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So here, all of a sudden, Paul, with, with, with great clarity, is saying that there's this process, this fight, battle that we are to engage in. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We need to be watchful because we're running a race. We're fighting a war. We need to be alert. We need to be watchful because our Lord has commanded us to be watchful. Jesus told us, be alert, always be ready. And that ought to be enough for us. That our Lord commands us to do something. He is our Lord. We are his servants. His word we receive. We don't decide what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. Jesus says it. That settles it. He commanded us to be watchful. And we ought to take joy in heeding the commands of our Savior and listening to his words as we reflect upon all that he has done for us. Richard Sibbs says, who would not serve such a master? Who would not serve such a master who has given himself for you? Who has done all of these things for you? Think about the glory of Christ. Think about what he has done for your salvation. And let your heart be filled with love and eagerness to serve him. Fifth, we ought to be watchful. We, we ought to be watchful because we are all appointed to die. We ought to live with that reality in mind. To remind ourselves that this life is not forever. Last, a couple months ago, we looked at Psalm 90, one of our evening services, and I just said, are we living our life backwards from the end to the present? Does your life make sense in light of the fact that you are going to die? Sixth, we ought to be watchful because blessing comes to those who faithfully watch. Jesus gives us that comfort and that promise. Blessed is the servant who is found waiting and watching who's found waiting and watching. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul looked back on his life and he knew that his salvation was nothing that he had earned. He knew that uh, the gospel hit him out of the blue on the Damascus road and Christ made him his own. The same is true for us. We're saved by grace through faith. God has made us his own. We didn't deserve it. We could never even think about convincing ourselves that this is something that we deserved. Nevertheless, listen to what Paul says at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And that is what stands before us today. There is a blessing 
awaiting those who are filled with this watchfulness, who are filled with letting their lives be shaped by the ultimate things, the ultimate reality of Christ. James 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. All the trials of your life, the ups and downs, each and every year, we don't know what's, what lays before us in 2020. We don't know if we're going to make it to 2021 or, or what. None of us knows that. But we know that our faith, our love of Christ, our perseverance will all be tried. They will all be put on trial this year. Resolved by the grace of God to be steadfast. For we know that God has promised blessing uh, to those who persevere by his grace. It's all by his grace. It's all by his power. Nevertheless, with these kinds of pronouncements of blessing, God produces in us that faithfulness and that love which pleases him. Then, uh, lastly, how do we remain watchful? How do we remain watchful? Uh, Three virtues and a blessing. So, fear and love and wisdom and then each other. How do we remain watchful? Fear, love, wisdom, and each other. First is fear. Matthew Henry says fear is a great guard and preservative from evil. It keeps us away from evil. There is a a holy fear, a reverence of God that every Christian ought to be filled with. Proverbs calls it the fear of the Lord. It means that uh, we don't primarily think of God as a, as a righteous judge as much as we do a loving father. He is a righteous judge, but in Christ he has become to us a loving father. But even loving fathers have a sense of authority. There's a gravitas there. There's a fear that his children are filled with. A righteous father knows how to instill the right kind of fear in his children. And we ought to remind ourselves of that. And we ought to also to remind ourselves that Canons of Dort says that not only is the gospel filled uh, with blessings and promises, but also threatenings and exhortations. That we ought to hear the words of Scripture. That there are all kinds of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we ought to be thankful when we hear those words that God has made us his own. But he also uses those threatenings to bring about the kinds of obedience uh, that he desires. And so if you struggle with sin, develop a holy fear of the Lord, even a fear of the threatenings of God's word and of the gospel. Philippians 2 says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you. So there's this fear and trembling that we have been given such a precious gift that we ought to remember that each and every day God is involving us in his great work. And even though we know that we rest in the grip of our Savior, he puts it before us to serve him. So that is why we walk about with a fear and trembling, a reverence for what God is doing in us. Fear, we ought to pray that God develops in us a holy and virtuous fear. We ought to, de- uh, to pray that God would develop in us love. As the soul is raised to the love of God in Christ, so will it be watchful. You think of a, a violin that uh, never gets played, right? You pick up that violin, what's it going to be? It's going to be horribly out of tune. Each and every day, 
the affection of love needs to be tuned to the Savior so that we might sing in tune with him and want to see and meet our Savior face to face. The more you love Christ, the more you will want to see him and meet him face to face. Psalm 119, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart, when you make me love you more. So we ought to pray that God would uh, shape and mold in us a holy love. Fear, love, and then wisdom. We ought to seek wisdom to know how to use our time in light of what he gives to us and in light of the fact that our lives are not forever. Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Here's the way uh, Richard Sibbs puts it. First, this is really just a wonderful encouragement of how you might begin your day with the Lord. First, in the morning, awake with God before the cares of the world enter your mind or temptation enters your flesh. Think of all that you may encounter and experience that day, the dangers, the troubles, and think of what armor you will need to stand firm. And then provide nourishment for your soul with this thought. Whatever will happen to you is ordained by God and for your good. Then think of what weaknesses you have and how to shore up those weaknesses. Most importantly, before you set about seeking to do good, give God the first chunk of your time and the first fruits of your hearts. Give him the first of the day by prayer so that whenever you fall into sin or temptation or affliction, you will not be tempted to think that you did so because you failed to commune with God. That day, we ought to walk carefully. We ought to make sure that we are going to God's Word each and every day, refreshing ourselves with the fountain of life, using the exercise of prayer that He has given to us. We ought to ask that God would give us wisdom, that we would know how to walk. So we need fear, we need love, we need wisdom, and then lastly, We need each other. Many other things that we need, but I had to stop somewhere and want to get you out of here before midnight. So we need each other. We need each other. Hebrews 3. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. It'll always be today, right? We'll always live life in the present. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then later in Hebrews. Let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. With, each, with the passing of each new year, we remind ourselves we're one year closer to the return of Christ. We're one year closer to the day. That day is drawing near. Are you accepting your place in the people of God to be involved in encouragement, exhortation, building up of one another so that God would continue his work in all of us, of making all of us ready for that day? We need each other. And that ought to be a challenge for each of us. Am I being the kind of person that other people need, that God is using to make others ready for the day? Am I accepting the exhortations and the encouragements of others so that we all would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? These kinds of things happen and we can oftentimes think that it's all this internal exercise 
And certainly there's an importance there. We need to be concerned about the inward realities of the heart. And we will answer for what goes on in our minds and in our hearts. But nevertheless, we need to have an outward face too to encourage and exhort one another and evermore as we see the day drawing near. May God be pleased to do his work in us in 2020. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all the thanks and praise and adoration. We give you all the glory. And we ask that you would glorify yourself in this place and in our lives. May you forgive us of our sins, cleanse us anew as we look out toward the new year. May we, re- may we be reminded uh, that we are closer to the end of our lives, that we are closer to the return of Christ. And may that fill us with joy uh, because we know that ultimately that is what you have created us for, to be with you and to be with you forever. So we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's, uh...